Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we'll commemorate the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist and explore how different Christian traditions practice baptism today. Join us now for our message, Testing the Waters. I want to welcome all of you that are here in the sanctuary with us, and I want to welcome all of you that are worshiping online with us. We are very grateful that you have joined us today. As usual, we'll be taking our uh, prayer requests via Facebook. If you have a joy or concern or a blessing, just post that there in the Facebook feed if you're worshiping at home. For those here in the sanctuary, we have our prayer cards at the back, and you can get that to me uh, usually during the, the hymn after the sermon. So that'd be great. You may notice that Wesley is not with us this morning. Jenna's grandmother uh, passed away early this morning. Uh, she's been, her, her health has been um, precarious now for a little while. And so they are with their family this morning and we want to uh, let Jenna know that her entire church family is thinking about her and her family going through this time going forward. Now stay tuned, we're gonna be talking about baptism today. Sprinkling or immersion, infants or adults, why do Christians disagree on all this stuff? Well, stay tuned because we're going to be talking about that just a little bit later in our service. If you haven't done so already, I would like to invite you to make an offering to the ministry of this church. You can do that through uh, our website, tumcd.org, through our church center app, or by just mailing a check to the church. Our, today is Communion Sunday. So for those of you at home, please make sure you have your bread and either grape juice or wine ready so that you can be, uh, celebrate Holy Communion with us. But our communion rail offering for this month is to the Reconciling Ministries Network. And you can also do our communion rail offering also through our church center app or through a check to the church. Reconciling Ministries Network is the organization uh, in our denomination that promotes the full inclusion of LGBTQ persons in the life and ministry of the church. And we are very proud to be a reconciling congregation where all are welcome to worship here and all are affirmed. And so we'll be sending a donation to that particular ministry as they prepare for our next general conference. Next week, starting a new sermon series, it's called The Faith of John Wesley. 
As you might recall, last spring we looked at, uh, we had a sermon series about other religions, then we had a sermon series about other denominations, and so now we're going to come back and take a good look at Methodism, our own tradition, and see, uh, how, see about its strengths and how it compares with other beliefs of other Christian denominations. It's also coinciding with our lift class study uh, on the book Revival by Adam Hamilton. They are still, they've just started that, they started it last week. If you want more information about that study, then contact Evelyn Glass. We have our, we have our UM Disciplines class also that meets on Sunday morning. And our pastor's Bible study on Wednesday evenings has started back up. So that's Wednesdays at 7 o'clock. And so now let us enter into a spirit of worship and prayer with this opening chorus. And now, will you please stand and join me in our call to worship? We are children of God. We have been water washed and spirit filled, dead to sin and alive in Christ. We're done with law and live under grace. Our hearts are set on righteousness. Our minds are fixed on life and peace. Suffering is nothing compared to the glory to come. For we're heirs to the life Christ is bringing. We are children of God. And now join me in our opening prayer. Living God, when the Spirit descended on Jesus at his baptism in Jordan's water, you revealed him as your own beloved Son. You anointed him with your Holy Spirit. Open your heaven and descend like a dove upon your sons and daughters today. Standing in the waters of our baptism, we await your presence in the beloved Son's name. Amen. And now, even though we, some of us are here in the sanctuary, some of us are worshiping online, but for all of you, my prayer is peace be with you. And now join for our opening hymn, number 608, This is the Spirit's Entry Now.
Now please join me in our prayer for illumination. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be shown. In the miraculous of your lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Please be seated. Our scripture today is not in the hymnal. It's in the Bible. And it is from the third chapter of the chapter, excuse me, of the Gospel of Luke. It's talking about the baptism of Jesus Christ. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. And when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Lucille was born in England during the early 20th century. As a baby, her grandmother took her down to the local Wesleyan chapel and had her baptized. Her father, however, was a very staunch Anglican, and he refused to recognize the validity of a Methodist baptism. So he took her to the nearest congregation of the Church of England and had her baptized by a legitimate priest of the church. Well, meanwhile, Lucille's mother had converted to the Salvation Army, and they didn't think too much of either the Methodist or the Anglicans. So her mother took her down to the local army citadel and presented her under the banner of blood and fire, which is the Salvationist equivalent to baptism. Well, later the family immigrated to the United States and lived in a small community where there's neither an Episcopal church nor an army citadel. So they began to attend the Methodist church. As a teenager, Lucille joined the confirmation class to prepare to take the vows of membership in the church. But the pastor of this little Methodist church was a renegade who disagreed with his denomination's stance on infant baptism. He believed that one is only truly baptized and therefore fully able to become a member of the church if one is of age and comes forward of one's own volition to take the vows of baptism for him or herself. Well, at this point, Lucille's mother put her foot down and said, no, no more baptisms. Three times is enough for anybody. Lucille, being a teenager, however, knew exactly how to annoy and vex and manipulate her mother. And she knew that her mother would never cause a scene in the middle of a church service. 
So when the pastor called the confirmation class forward to be baptized and confirmed, she walked right up there with her friends and was baptized yet again. Her mother sat there silently and fumed. Well, Lucille grew to adulthood where she met, fell in love, and married a Southern Baptist. And you may see what the story is leading to at this point. But before getting married to this young man, she extracted a promise from him that she would not have to be baptized again. And he agreed that she had been sufficiently baptized. But then they started to attend a Baptist church. And as it so happens, this church was in need of a pianist on Sunday mornings. And Lucille played beautifully. So after much anxiety and discussion, the deacons of that church solemnly proclaimed that unimmersed hands were unworthy of playing the Lord's song. So once more, Lucille went under the water and for the fifth time was initiated into the church of Jesus Christ. Now the story illustrates, and it is a true story by the way, the story illustrates the many assumptions and disagreements about baptism that had plagued the church now for centuries. Lucille's father, as an Anglican, assumed that the efficacy of a baptism was dependent upon whether or not the presider, that is the priest, was in the line of apostolic succession that would have extended all the way back to the original apostles. And at that time, the Anglican church did not recognize Methodist clergy as being legitimate heirs of that succession. Now, Lucille's mother as a salvationist believed that baptism with water was an unnecessary sacramental holdover from the Roman Catholic Church. Lucille's confirmation pastor believed that a person must be of a certain age to be baptized. And finally, the Baptist deacons believed that only full immersion counts as a real baptism. So all of these beliefs and assumptions, though, are at odds with our Methodist understanding of baptism. So what is the United Methodist uh, belief on baptism? What is it that we actually believe here on this topic? Well, today is the day in our Christian calendar, in our church calendar, where we, separate, we celebrate the baptism of Jesus. It is the final epiphany or manifestation of Jesus' divine origin right there before he starts his public ministry. But as we all know in the history of the church, Christians have come to different understandings of both the significance of Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist, as well as they've come to have different understandings of baptism itself. And so again, we ask, what is the United Methodist understanding of baptism, and what do we believe is actually happening here? Well, first and foremost, before we speak about any other aspect of baptism, we affirm that our entire understanding of baptism is rooted in the conviction that God loves us unconditionally and that God's grace is available to everyone. And we say that baptism is the sacrament of initiation and incorporation into the body of Christ through water and the Spirit. Now we say that sacraments are means of grace that are instituted by Christ. And other churches might recognize a variety of sacraments. In the United Methodist Church, however, we only celebrate two sacraments baptism and Holy Communion, because we feel that these are the two sacraments that were directly instituted by Christ himself. Now, grace is kind of like the air we breathe. It, it envelops us and surrounds us, regardless of whether or not we're even aware of the presence of grace. And we call certain things means of grace, uh, ways and paths by which we experience grace. 
And we call such things as worship and prayer and Bible study, we call those means of grace. We can kind of think of those means of grace as kind of like being cool breezes, cool breezes of God's grace. So if worship and prayer and Bible study are kind of like cool breezes, then we can kind of think of the sacramental graces of baptism and Holy Communion is kind of like these major winds. You can kind of think of sacraments then as wind tunnels of God's grace. It's where we really get a really a good, good portion of God's grace. Now later in our service, we're going to celebrate Holy Communion. But since today is the day when we commemorate the baptism of Jesus, then I thought, therefore, we'd look at the sacrament of baptism. And in this sacrament, God is adopting us as God's own children. We become part of the family of God, and we become a living member then of the body of Christ. And because it's an initiation of the universal church and not just the United Methodist Church, then we in the United Methodist Church, we recognize virtually all baptisms performed by other denominations and churches And we view baptism as something that should unite and not divide all Christians, though as we know, that's not always the case. We baptize by water. Water is a very powerful symbol in both the Bible and in Christian theology. We see signs of water whenever God is trying to do a new thing. We see it in creation, in the story of Noah and the flood. Uh, We see it as the Hebrews crossed the Red Sea on their way to their deliverance. We see it when Jesus is baptized in the Jordan. If you think about this, we see it every time a woman gives birth. The use of water then is reminiscent of of new birth and rebirth. It's also reminiscent of our own Jewish heritage uh, in their their rituals of purification, and it symbolizes then the washing away of sin. Now, in the Methodist Church, we utilize three modes of baptism, all three modes, and that is uh, immersion, pouring, and sprinkling. Now, in immersion, the person being baptized is fully immersed into the water. And sometimes the person may go under the water once. Sometimes they'll go under three times to symbolize the Trinity. Immersion is symbolic of our dying and then rising with Christ and of being born anew and being born again. And our friends in the Baptist Church, the Church of Christ, the Disciples of Christ, they all practice baptism by immersion exclusively, though the disciples will recognize baptisms done by other churches, even if they're infant baptisms. Churches that practice baptism by immersion usually will only baptize those that are of age to make the decision for themselves, though there are exceptions to that. In baptism by pouring, water is poured over the head of the person being baptized. And the person may be standing in water, or you may actually have the person's head over a basin of water as the water is being poured. And again, the water may be poured once, the water may be poured three times to symbolize the Trinity. It can be poured from a a pitcher, it can be poured just with your hand. You may have sometimes seen a little brass shell that is sometimes used to pour water in a baptism. The pouring signifies then the pouring out of God's spirit, God's Holy Spirit upon this person. Now, we usually, though in the Methodist church, practice baptism by sprinkling. And here the one who is doing the baptizing places their hand in the water 
and then what's the head of the one being baptized. Again, sometimes once, sometimes three times. And sprinkling reminds us again of the many ways that sprinkling was done in uh, Jewish purification uh, renewal rituals. But all of these nuances of meaning, uh, the dying and rising of Christ, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the sprinkling of purification, in our understanding of the theology of baptism, we see all of those ideas, all of those theological ideas represented in each of the forms of baptism that we use. Now we say we also baptize by water and baptize by the Spirit. Baptism represents spiritual rebirth and the entry of the Holy Spirit into the life of the individual. As part of the baptismal liturgy, we even at one point invoke uh, the working of the Holy Spirit on the life of this particular individual so they can become a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Baptism names us and claims us, and baptism also commissions us for ministry. It's the first step in a lifelong uh, lifetime of service of discipleship. So in baptism, we're named by God, and we are marked and we are claimed by God forever as God's very own. And I said we're commissioned for service. Through baptism, we're all called to be Christ's body in the world and to be part of that effort by which we, um, we work with the Holy Spirit to initiate the kingdom of God upon this earth. And baptism may, means we don't really have to wait to get someone's permission or authorization for ministry. Because you're, you're commissioned and authorized for ministry the moment the water washes over your face. And this call to baptize ministry is shared by all Christians, and it is the first order of service. Any additional calling we have, uh, for example, like ordination, but any other additional calling we have in our lifetimes, whether to professional ministry or to a particular service or maybe even to, uh, to the service of a specific individual, it's all secondary to our first calling of baptism to be Christ's body and Christ's hands and feet out into the world. And at this baptismal calling, we make vows to God or in the case of infant baptism, the parents make these vows on behalf of the child. And we ask, do you renounce wickedness and reject evil? Do you repent of your sin? Will you rise up against evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever form you may find them? Will we claim Jesus Christ as our Savior? Will we trust this grace implicitly and serve Christ as our Lord? Are we willing to be in union with a church that includes people of all different kinds? And then finally, will we faithfully teach and guide and nurture the children in our care? And will we be faithful to the church and live out our lives as worthy representatives of God out in the world? And the congregation makes vows too. The congregation is also asked, do you reaffirm your rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ? Will you live a life that becomes the gospel? I particularly like this last one. It's not in our current liturgy. It's actually in the older liturgy. Uh, it's, it's part of the liturgy that I was baptized under in the early 60s. Will you live a life before this child that becomes the gospel? And I've always loved what that meant. And um, I like to bring it back. If we, if we get to have an infant baptism here, you'll see that I bring that back. We also ask, will you embrace these people before you being baptized and surround them with love and immerse them with forgiveness? 
And we also then, uh, we make a vow where we remain in faithful prayer for their well-being and for their relationship with God. And this is very serious business. We are making very serious promises here. When we vow to surround the newly baptized or confirmed persons in a community of love, we're not just promising that in the name of our congregation, we're promising that in the name of the entire church universal, the whole people of God. We're representing all Christians everywhere in this vow to love and to support them. And again, not just for those people that are physically present. And likewise, when we encounter those who have been baptized, then even if we were not physically present at their baptism, we have nevertheless already have committed to surrounding them with a community of love and forgiveness. And this is just true whether we are physically present at that baptism or not. Baptism is profoundly grounded in grace. And we Methodists, we love to talk about provenient grace. And by provenient grace, we mean that grace that envelops us from the moment of our conception to the moment of our death. It is the grace that reaches out to us before we are even capable of even conceiving of God, much less responding to God. Before we are ever washed in the waters of baptism, we are already immersed in God's unconditional love and grace. And this core understanding of grace is why, in our denomination, we have decided to baptize persons of all ages, both the young and the old. We'll baptize infants, children, teenagers, adults. Baptism is a sign of what God has done and what God is doing in our lives. And it signifies God's initiative. And ultimately, it's God's promise to us that we will never find ourselves outside of this embrace of this convenient grace that surrounds us. And we also add that in the biblical witness, we find that when persons in the early church were baptized, oftentimes their entire household was baptized with them. And there's never any indication that we found in Scripture to indicate that the children were made to wait until they got older. It seems like everyone in that household was baptized at one single time. In my very, very first interview, as part of the ordination process, um, this has been a while ago, I was asked the following question. As a pastor, if a woman in your church gave birth to a stillborn child, or a child that died very shortly after birth, and the family requested a baptism for the deceased infant, would you perform the baptism? This question utterly stumped me. And I was, I was just, as if, they were all just staring at me, and I'm silently trying to go through my brain and racking my brain. Have you ever heard anything like this? What have you read about any kind of situation like this? And I couldn't think of a single instant where I'd heard anything like this. So what I finally decided to say is that I don't know if this is the correct answer, but in that situation, I think my pastoral concern for the family would end up trumping any doctrinal hair splitting. So yes, I'd reform the baptism. And not because without the baptism, the infant won't go to heaven, uh, without first being baptized, we believe that Christ died for all persons and that God's unlimited grace already covers such children, whether they're ever baptized or not. 
I'd reform the sacrament because baptism is a sign of God's gracious love and care. Care for us even in the midst of tragedy and grief. And by performing the sacrament, it's going to help this family in their grief and to let go and to know that this child, this infant, is now safe and secure in God's loving hands and the family will not have to face this tragedy alone in the days ahead. Interestingly enough, the district superintendent at that time told me that was the incorrect answer. And you never baptize a deceased person. Well, it was my first interview. There was grace. I was passed anyway. I found out, though, from my friend later that behind closed doors, because after, after you interview, then you get to leave, and then they all talk about you behind your back, that several of the pastors in there, and these were all fully ordained pastors, said, we would baptize the deceased infant, you know, even though that's not the correct thing to do. So I, I felt better later. I felt vindicated that fellow pastors would have made the same mistake that I would have made. But one thing that we do feel very strongly about in United Methodist Church is that we never baptize a person a second time. Oftentimes, um, oftentimes, sometimes people have had a spiritual awakening later in life, and they want some sort of a, a ritual uh, to symbolize uh, and commemorate their spiritual rebirth. And so we often have, that might be when a person becomes confirmed uh, and they officially join the church, they could have a reaffirmation of their baptismal vows. But to, re, to, to do a baptism a second time is to repudiate the promise that God made at the original baptism. It's the original baptism where God is promising and it's God's initiative. And we would say the very fact that you have a spiritual reawakening now is actually proof that God has been working in your life ever since whenever that original baptism was, and God has remained ever faithful in your life. Um, now, we usually, in, in Methodist churches, we usually will have a confirmation class when kids reach about 12 or 13, and they'll often go through a confirmation after that class. If they haven't been baptized, they're baptized at that point. But I will say that confirmation can happen at any age. I've I've confirmed many, many adults. Um, they may have been baptized in an infant, never were in the church again until later on in adulthood, and then they went through the confirmation process. But again, often me having to explain, I'm not going to baptize you, but I'll be happy to confirm you. So if baptism is a sign of God's prevenient grace, then it is also a sign of God's justifying grace. Because in the vows of baptism... And then later in the vows of confirmation, we accept for ourselves God's gift of salvation. We accept this gift of the healing that is represented in Christ's life and death and resurrection and the healing that those, the life and death and resurrection make possible. And baptism then is also a sign of God's sanctifying grace. The promises of baptism take a lifetime to fulfill and God promises to be with us as we grow in grace and become ever more faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. God's going to be with us through that entire journey. Several years ago, I co-officiated at the funeral of the mother of my best friend from college. And as part of that service, the lead pastor talked about how Judy's baptism had now been made complete 
in her death and her reunitement with God. And I always like that. I always make sure now when I conduct a funeral that I talk about that that person's baptism has now been fulfilled. And so baptism then, the effects of baptism last not only a lifetime, but in a sense beyond our lifetimes. As we look back on the story of Jesus' own baptism, Luke tells us that afterwards Jesus saw the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descend upon him like a dove. So whenever we take time then to remember our baptism or to witness the baptisms of others, may we have the eyes of faith to see the Spirit descend upon us and also have the ears of faith then to hear the words of the Spirit say, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, and with you I am very well pleased. Amen. You see, I'm, I'm off with Wesley not being here. Now will you please rise for our hymn of response. Down by the Jordan. Please be seated, and if you have a prayer request or a blessing request, please get that to me during the offertory.
Lauren, that was beautiful. I love that. Christ our Lord invites and welcomes all people throughout the earth to the table of God. So if you're ready to accept Christ's invitation, if you love God, if you repent of your sin, if you intend to live in peace with all, then let us confess our sin before God and one another. Please join me in this prayer of confession. We are incredibly stubborn, O Lord. We have entered the season in which your light has been given to the world. Your blessings have been poured out on the world, and yet all we can think about is our own problems, our own needs, our own desires. Help us to desire you, Lord. Help us to yearn for your presence. Pour your baptismal waters over us again, cleansing us from our self-pity and arrogance. Nourish and heal us so that we might joyfully serve you. Wash away our jealousy, greed, and all negative thoughts and behaviors that stand in the way of our truly being the people you have called us to be. Let us receive the blessings offered in creation, in the birth and baptism of Jesus, and the ministry of the saints of life. And now let us pray in silence for individual forgiveness. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Before the mountains were brought forth or you had formed the earth from everlasting to everlasting, you alone are God. You created light out of darkness. You created light out of darkness and brought forth life on the earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so, with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom you have revealed yourself, our light and our salvation. In his baptism and in table fellowship, he took his place with sinners. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. By the baptism of the suffering death and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, 
delivered us from slavery to sin and death and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread and he gave thanks to you and he broke the bread and gave his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup and he gave thanks to you. And then he gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit make us one with Christ, one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. So this bread which we break, is it not a sharing then in the body of Christ? And this cup over which we give thanks, is it not a sharing now in the blood of Christ? We're going to do this as we've done for the last few weeks where you come to the center but then you, um, you go uh, clockwise and then you'll come uh, and, and take communion here. There is that uh, plate there for if you want to make a communion rail offering. You can also make your regular offering in that at the same time if you wish. Come forward and taste and see that the Lord is good.
We have actually quite a few prayer requests that we've gotten off of Facebook. So this is the time in our worship service where we come and we lay our concerns to the Lord and we lift up our thanksgiving and blessing. And as I've wanted to do, um, since we've been meeting again here in person, I want to continue to do this until it's all finished, but to pray that our church continues, the, the, the reconstruction of our church continues, and that eventually this building will get done sometime before the second coming, and that we will be able to be in full ministry in this church. Yeah, amen, I'll throw that one. Uh, so, um, for on behalf of our church trinity for our building, Lord in your mercy, hear our prayer. I want to send up some prayers then for those who have been affected by the winter weather, which has been a lot of our country. And so for those who have been affected by the winter weather or have suffered from cold injury, Lord in your mercy. Also, I wanted us to acknowledge um, that Thursday, January 6th, is the day of epiphany. But now in our nation, now it's also the date of the insurrection. So I wanted to take an opportunity to pray for our nation and to pray for our unity and that we be able to come together and find peaceful ways to communicate with one another and to solve our differences so that um, we don't have to come, that no one feels like that, that violence is all they have left. So I want to pray then for the strength and the endurance of our democracy. So Lord, in your mercy. As I said earlier, uh, Jenna McCall's grandmother died early this morning after uh, so, uh, some illness. And so we want to be praying for, for Jenna and her family that they'll be able to feel God's comfort and strength during this time. So for Jenna and her family, Lord, in your mercy. We want to be praying for uh, Mildred, the mother of Connie Smades. She is now at the end of her life, and they are, last I heard, searching for a hospice center. I don't know if they've been able to find that yet or not. But we want to be praying for Mildred and for, and for Connie and for that entire family so that they can make the right decisions and be at peace. So for Connie and Mildred and their family, Lord, in your mercy. Our uh, custodian... Um, Tracy McCallum has asked that we pray for his brother who has COVID as well as uh, his boss and his boss's wife and his boss's daughter also have COVID. And in addition, the mother of that family has had uh, recent heart surgery. So for all of those, not only that Tracy has named, but all those that have been affected by COVID, Lord in your mercy. And also I want to continue for us to be praying for... Um, the son of my colleague, Kelly Sanford, uh, that, the, his, that her son, Christian, may be found alive and well. So, Lord, in your mercy. Uh, Rachel wants us to pray that her brother and sister-in-law both had COVID. Um, Rachel's negative, still waiting for Tim and Tristan's report. So, for Rachel and her family, that they all remain healthy or all recover swiftly, Lord, in your mercy. Um, Anna Alicia has asked for prayers for Sienna and I because Sienna tested positive for COVID. And so Anna Alicia has been home since. So we pray that um, 
you get you recover from from COVID and 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 hopefully that uh, Annalisa that you don't get sick. So Lord, in your mercy. And then Jan asked us to pray for uh, Carolyn and Tex who are recovering also from COVID, um, and for um, a worthy matron and patron that they are a worthy matron and patron of her Irving Eastern Star Group. So for Jan's friends, Carolyn and Tex, Lord, in your mercy. And uh, also ask um, prayers for those hurt in the Great Clips crash in Cedar Hill, which is definitely not, not something I'm aware of. But for all those who were hurt in that, Lord, in your mercy. And then Sheila Clift asked to pray for Josh and Crystal because they both had COVID. So for Josh and Crystal as well, Lord, in your mercy. That's a lot of people with COVID right now. Um, I'm grateful that Omicron doesn't seem to be as, um, as serious, but it's so virulent. I probably know no, more people with COVID now than I have at any other part of the uh, time of the pandemic. So we want to continue to be praying for all of us, uh, not only in our congregation, but on, in our extended community uh, that we'll be beginning to see Omicron hopefully in our rearview mirror in just a few more weeks. Um, gosh, we had a lot of prayer requests, uh, no asking for blessings. So I will just ask then a blessing for our entire church so that we remain as healthy as possible and that we remain positive in our outlooks, not only during this pandemic, but as we hopefully are wrapping up the renovation of our building. So I know that God is with us and that God's promises to us through our baptisms are ongoing. And for that, we know that that is the work of the Lord and therefore thanks be to God. And so now with the confidence that we have as the children of God, let us pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now may you rise for our closing hymn, You Feed Us, Gentle Savior.
Remember, you can always find a recording of our service on our website, tumcd.org, on our Facebook page, or through our church's webcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Your action item this week, remember your baptism, remember the promises of God, and pray for Trinity. And now receive this benediction. As you have been fed at this table, go to feed the hungry. As you have been set free, go set free the imprisoned. As you have received, give. As you have heard, proclaim. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday we'll begin a new sermon series, The Faith of John Wesley, where we will examine our Methodist heritage. You'll find recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember, we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.